what I've been thinking a lot about lately is emotional sobriety and self-support because mm -hmm. that's what this is ultimately is the ability to support ourselves, keep our center of gravity over our two feet and to honor ourselves in ways that we never have. And that means considering all sides of us. See, this is where the challenge comes in. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear Tom and I talk about that, that we are fragmented into several different parts. And we did that in order to adjust to the, the crazy culture we're in, adjust to the dynamics in our family, uh, you know, adjust to our own concerns and desires. And then through life, we're trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is uh, producer Patrick Newman and Dr. Alan Berger. How are you, the good Dr. Alan Berger? Well, it's a good day. It's always a good day being here with you guys and being able to explore emotional sobriety and to be able to continue this discussion about such an important topic. Yeah, and it is it is that it's, it's it's you know one of the things I tell tell people you know I've quoted often my my sponsor my first sponsor in AA that said when he's talking about uh, marriage communication that marriage is just one long ass conversation but that's also kind of what psychotherapy is yeah you know it, and it, and it's like you know and we, and we teach people to kind of don't try to measure it and just in what did I get or how was that session or how you know that kind of thing it's it's an ongoing conversation but this is another version of that this is a this is it is broken up into these segments we do we do find a, a beginning a middle and an end to each one of these but ultimately uh it is it is you know I think and I think we're being successful with this it is a conversation about what what not only what emotional sobriety is but how we got there and what to do about it yeah and it's and it is the same conversation it is a conversation and i think part of the conversation is is also our ongoing discovery of what emotional sobriety is you oh, know sure. yeah. yeah people think about us as somehow experts in it but you and i and patrick and you know those people in our thursday night meeting we're still discovering what this thing is. I mean, Bill gave us a starting point, but we, you know, we've been on this journey now and today we're really going into an area that, that is very interesting to tie it into emotional sobriety. But before yeah. we do, let's check in with Patrick. Patrick. Oh, terrible emotional sobriety week. I did very poorly. Well, that's good. <laughs> lots, lo lots of oh. lots of opportunities and lessons that's right oh my Pretty goodness the only ones that are going to tell you that's good when you've had a bad week like, well it's 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 like uh i think i've checked in about this particular ongoing issue i've had before where i've got a text thread with all my family members where we talk politics and uh i like lit into um my uh family over some disagreements about uh policing in america 
uh, very strong feelings one way about it. They've got yeah. strong feelings the other way about it. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I seek that validation, that kind of, uh, reassurance from, uh, people, uh, and outside of myself. Um, and when I don't get it, I think I, I tend to throw a bit of a tantrum. And so this isn't me, um, you know, uh, seeding my beliefs, but it's me seeding that like my behavior surrounding my beliefs is a little unhealthy uh, at times. Well, that's a tough balance though, too, too, Patrick, especially, and again, one of the things I've learned is not to, not, you know, you know, all, all systems don't, don't work the same way. So, not, you know, not knowing your family, it's like, you know, what, you know, it's, it's like, I've known, I've known families that, you know, uh, uh, well, Alan, you can identify this. I've known, I, I've had, I had a good friend for, for years that I spent lots and lots of time with he and his family they, and just, they're just, just stereotypical straight out Italian family that just, just it would drive me nuts. I freak me out at first because I came from such a shutdown, you know, you know, family in, in, in West Texas. It's like, but you know, they could talk, they could do all that stuff and still be okay with each other and say, and, and, and they had, and they could be a little freer with what they had to say. And even in terms, in terms of insults and things like that, where things that most of the time I'm saying to clients and stuff is no, you don't talk to people that way, but you get to know a certain family kind of go well you guys do actually i mean i had one family that i used to say they used to come in the, the whole family would come into my office and and just i mean it was like everything every rule i ever had for any family that just said well this is an absolute rule it's like i ended up just throwing them all out because they were they were just they you know i was i was there to to bear witness and 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 i would watch them again and again go into these places that in my family would would have destroyed us every time and uh and and in that time at the end by the end of each session <laughs> they were they were off to they were off to have dinner together you know and and uh so so anyway i just want to say that, that be careful that you're not judging yourself too harshly and and then the other is those are really those are tough subjects and you know and we're all trying to find out you know where we can express ourselves and and actually make some make a difference maybe influence other people it's hard well you know it's it's funny that you bring that up patrick because i was just talking to somebody the other day who's you know very involved politically and she says you know what about emotional sobriety in politics so um i'm talking to her about possibly appearing on the show and us having a whole show about emotional sobriety and and how does that you know relate to mm -hmm. the political atmosphere that we're dealing with today in our country yep. well so, uh, you know as, as you can probably as you can probably guess uh that idea uh, excites me quite a bit no I, I think it's an important thing because you know wh what do we learn in this in recovery it's we want to practice these principles practice emotional sobriety in all of our affairs. It's mm -hmm. not just in our relationships with those people we love and care about, but it's how we connect to life, how we connect to the political scene in our lives. I mean, the whole thing. And, and so I, you know, that that's why I'm saying, I mean, there's so many, we're discovering so much about emotional sobriety and all of its applications in all the areas of our life. And so that I think I'm looking forward to that show. Hopefully, oh, ab yeah. ab absolutely. And that's, Hopefully you know, she'll the agree. If not, if she doesn't, then, you know, we'll still devote the show and we'll find someone else. But, but well, it's it, it's, I think when you said one, I was, was going to say, no, I think it's an important, you know, when we say apply these principles to, to all of our affairs, it's like, it's like, I mean, I think that's unfortunately what, 
we've done in our culture and our and sometimes within our families it's like okay well this all this all we this this applies except when it comes to money or this applies <laughs> except when it comes yeah. to, to to religion you know or and and, and politics is the, is the third third one on that 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 triad there it, so i think that's true that's one of the one of the when i wrote my thing that's that's available by the way available free on on my website called called therapy for politics is it was because i had been writing some very I thought really fun things to do, but very satirical political stuff during the George Bush uh, president, W. Bush presidency. But when I realized that I was in a process of only preaching to the choir, you know, and just entertaining myself and people who 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 liked me, and that I, that I realized that that's not I'm not actually contributing to anything. So I think and I think that I like the idea of us taking this stuff and saying, how does what we're talking about? And I can't I've been talking about how how what we do in therapy applies to politics for for years. And, but it's you know, I can't think of a better model to do this with than emotional sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I can just check to... in, check in about the definitions with uh, Alan. Um, the, one of the most important fundamental things about emotional sobriety is that you it puts you into alignment with reality is that a fair thing to yeah, say that's, that's, that's one dimension of it one way of thinking about it you know other ways of thinking about it are is that it helps us achieve a certain degree of autonomy in our connection with life and with people that we care about and with politics even is that we don't get overly influenced um, and that doesn't mean we don't become passionate. See, it, it's, it's, it's this real. Well, right. It helps you fight better, right? That's what I would well, think. Well, that might be a good way to say it. It's, it's like, we're not talking about becoming a, a pacifist and rolling over either. I mean, that's not what emotional sobriety is. Mm -hmm. There's an appropriate assertiveness in every situation in emotional sobriety. The best, what I've been thinking a lot about lately is emotional sobriety and self-support because mm -hmm. that's what this is ultimately is the ability to support ourselves, to keep our center of gravity over our two feet and to honor ourselves in ways that we never have. And that means considering all sides of us. See, this is where the challenge comes in. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear Tom and I talk about that, that we are fragmented into several different parts. And we did that in order to, you know, adjust to the, the crazy culture we're in, adjust to the dynamics in our family, uh, you know, adjust to our own concerns and desires. And then through life, we're trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. trying to find a way to coordinate all these parts that were not put together in coordination. Right. See, when a certain part of us came into existence, it didn't say, hey, let me see how I fit in with the rest of you guys. I mean, right. it didn't do that. It's just, said, it just said, I'm a specialist. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm coming on board here because you need me and mm -hmm. you need me for whatever reason you need me as part of who you yeah. are. And, and back up for a second, because, because I, because I think, first of all, I think, you know, we could, and maybe that's kind of what we're trying to do in writing the book we're working on, to, you know, for the daily book, but, 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 
you, I think, I think you'd almost do a daily, a daily definition. It's a, it's a little, emotional sobriety is a little bit, reminds me a lot of, uh, not a little bit, but a lot of codependency. How many different ways can you define codependency? How many yeah. different ways can you define recovery from codependency? It's like, because so often what we're talking about, first of all, codependency could really be, at least in the Western world, I think synonymous with the human condition, you know? And so what we're trying, so I think in a lot of ways, what Melody Beatty was talking about, what it has been talking about and continues talking about is still about, again, about we're using different language sometimes, but emotional sobriety. And um, um, we ought to ask Melody to come on. Melody's uh, uh, endorsed a couple of my books. I, I've never met her personally, but but she's always been extremely supportive to my to my stuff, including the fact the very first book I had of little nutshells. She's the one who told me to take the nutshell out that said, "Always, uh, uh, never take a business card with a crumpled corner." I see that that was my smart ass little thing about the fact, of course, that had been used to pick somebody's teeth. And so I, you know, that, that and apparently everybody doesn't get that. But 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 Melody was the one who told me, take the smart ass out of the book. It's like so, so, so I, th I thank her for that. But the thing I wanted to go back to, you said self-support. It's because I was writing about respect earlier uh, this week. And it's like it's and this goes to the political stuff. It's like respecting somebody you agree with is easy, <laughs> you know, but respect is the missing ingredient in, in, in politics. It's like respecting, understanding what respect is and understanding respect is not, a, is not synonymous with agreement. Respect, re respect simply means I understand, and it is emotional sobriety. I understand that I am one being and you are another being and Patrick is another. It's like we are separate people. We are separate entities. We each are in charge of our own our own uh, uh, domain here. It's it's like uh, and so to learn how because I mean my goodness we can, we can figure out some ways of teaching effectively how to respect how to how to how to dem, have have it demonstrate respect in term in times of extreme disagreement. Then we then we have something. So I I look forward to this. I'm reading a book right now called Band of Giants, and um, it's about the Revolutionary War. Since I moved to Pennsylvania, as you guys know, I've gotten oh, yeah. very interested in learning as much as I can about the Revolutionary War. I've taken a tour. I go to the Washington's Crossing a couple times a year, look at, you know, witness reenactments and stuff. And it's very interesting that as the war was unfolding, Congress you know, at first was very involved and supportive with all the soldiers. And as the war went on, they distanced themselves. They got so disconnected from the troops and they really did not show any interest in taking care of their needs and supporting them. And yet these are men and women fighting for our country. And, you know, and when I look at how I see politics so disconnected from experience, you know, people's experience, right? It's supposed to be, you know, what, you know, a, a, a political body that's to represent us. But I'm telling you, even as great as those founding fathers were, that split happened very early in terms of the disconnection. And in here, they're still fighting the war against the British. And, you know, the whole independence is going to rest on how well these guys are able to to handle themselves at the end, because they were going to start, you know, going face to face with the British Army. 
which up right. to this point, there was a lot of skirmishes, but no mm-hmm. armies two standing off with each other. And I'm telling you, man, it, it is very interesting. Washington, thank God for him, man. He was able to confront Congress and confront them about what they were doing and saying, you guys better get your head out of your ass mm-hmm. if you want this country to, to become independent because it's going to take an army. And, that, and these men and women, see, and the difference was, the split was most of the soldiers, not the officer corps, but mm-hmm. the grunts, right? They were mm-hmm. poor people. Yeah. They were farmers. They weren't wealthy. They didn't own a lot of money. They came, they came out of their farms. They came out of their cabins. They they were called militiamen, right? Back in the time, Minutemen and stuff like that. They were the militia. That's what comprised our army. There was no professional army here, right? right. We didn't have that. Well, that was the source of their power, is that they're fighting for their homes. Yeah. That's what that was for them. But the mm-hmm. split between the haves and the have-nots, mm-hmm. there was a lack of respect from the haves mm-hmm. to the have-nots. And these are the people that were risking their lives for these people to, to enjoy their independence. You know, when I read that, it really said, my God, this struggle we've been having goes way back, doesn't it? You know, it's not something that's just happening right now in terms of the disconnection. My God, well, well, that help that. See, to me, that, that I, anytime we're dealing with stuff, it really does help me to become. Um, and, and I definitely was not a very good student of history growing up. But if I, if I, that, if I got a reboot on my life, one of the things I would do is I would become a, 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 a historian for sure. First of all, it educates you about everything, and and the and the and the understanding is that that it does it does actually help in a weird way to realize. You know, because we tend to go like, oh, my God, what's happening now? It's horrible. It's never happened before. You go like, no, it's no, it's all happened before. It's like now. But the good news, that's not to give us complacency. It's to say, so therefore, let's go back in time. You know, there are old expression that we use in emotional sobriety, you know, learn from the past. You know, it's like we go back there and get those lessons. It's, and, but right. it is reassuring to realize, you know, those people were human beings, too. And they were they they were out of touch in in ways that the people today are out of touch. That's right. You know? That's yeah. right. That's right. No, it's 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 been very interesting. I've really been uh, it's really opened up a whole like yeah. you said. I mean, you know, I kind of treated history as I, I need to take it as one right, of the yeah. requirements. But oh, no. now, as I've gotten older, maybe because I'm older, too. Right. 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 I'm right. At my life and stuff. Oh, it makes a difference. We, well, we, we understand we have a different relationship with time, Alan. You and I do. Yeah, we it's, do. It's like because because we can we can count we can count by seventy. It's like <laughs> <laughs> you know, and one hundred and forty years ago was not that long ago. And it's, oh. it, but it's it's um, I don't know if the name of the book I can't. Remember, I was looking to see if I had it here. The name of the book that that the that the um, I think it's on Netflix. But the 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 series is called Washington Spy, Washington Spies. Uh, yes. Yes, it's it's first of all, it's a wonderful series. It's, a, I, you know, we, Dee and I both loved it very much, but I also read the book it was based on and man, that, that was, it was such, 
it was it it was done so well and yeah. it, it just brought it, it, it's sort of like what you're experiencing i think being yeah. up there now is you realize oh man this is real this really happened you know you can yeah like well you, now you, you just could. gave me another, another book to put on my reading list that sounds fascinating uh, oh it's, it is it is it is wonderful if, and if you haven't seen the series the series is, is yeah, amazing no no oh, it's, it's no no but, but you know you see the See, one of the things that, that I'm, I'm really learning about Washington, he was gifted in his ability to respect everyone. The mm -hmm. soldier that was the, from the poorest situation felt respected by Washington, all the way to the members of the Congress. Mm -hmm. And that was his gift, man. He would sit down, he would go play cricket with some of the guys out you know, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. He was like one of the guys, but still the leader. I mean, what, you know, and, and there's been a few other generals that we've seen that have had that capacity, right? It to be, I forget his name, the, the general that uh, um, Operation Freedom, um, the Kuwait conflict that have General, uh, was it Schwarzkopf? Uh, Schwarzkopf. Schwarzkopf, that's what it was. He oh, was a yes. to me. He was, he said, this is the guy who was crying because he lost some of his men. Yeah. I mean, the compassion he had, you know, you want to fight for a guy like that. Washington had that. He really, and I think that is one of the other things you're saying, Tom, is that as we achieve this emotional sobriety, you know, all these divisions about right and wrong, even though they're there, we still find a way to see beyond all that stuff, mm -hmm. see beyond status, socioeconomic status, right? And just see people struggling to find a way. And while they may mm -hmm. find a way different than us, they're still mm -hmm. trying to find some way. Right, right. Well, the other, the other thing I realized we've done is we've made this wonderful segue into our topic for the day, which is role models. How do you, how do you find role models? And, you know, I would not, and again, this is how I love, what I love about spontaneous conversations. I would not have predicted in, in a thousand years that the first role model we would talk about would be George Washington. But, but, but and I know, and I think I've, I've read less than you have about him, but what I do know about him, he is a wonderful role model in many ways. And it's, it's like, it, and I'd love the idea that we can get, we can take role models. Hell, you can take role models from fiction. It's, it's, it's like, you know, one of the things that, that, that I, I was talking with Patrick about earlier about just the idea is like the, the thing about using role models in emotional sobriety. It's like, cause we're, we're built, we're among other things, we're building skill sets. It's like the, the challenge there is, is how can I learn, how can I learn something from this per about this, from this person or from this person's example, but not not give myself away like I have in the past, you know, not it, it not be either. I have to be defended or I have to give myself away. And the way I heard somebody say it, um, and it, it actually, you know, I mentioned Melody Beatty before it might've been Melody Beatty that I heard say this is that, that we can, as we're recovering, we can find, we can find lots of wonderful parenting in any number of people and never have to make any one of them our parent. You know, and so the idea, because we you know, we all have that ability to get get attached, or we can get attached to people like that, and then we set up the uh, through emotional sobriety the, the unrealistic expectations, the disappointment, and stuff like that. But the idea that I can that I can say, you know, Patrick Patrick does so and so so well. He does this and that. It's like I I I always think of him when I'm trying to do to, when I'm trying to do do this thing, or I think about Alan, or I think about George Washington. It's like it's it's I'd love that's one of the things that his, history yeah. our own history personal history and broader history gives us is mm -hmm. people to learn from 
Yes. That's a wonderful, but I love how you said it. See, in I'll just share my own experience. So for me, you know, I lost my dad at a very early age. I think most mm-hmm. people that have been following our talk for a while or following our podcast mm-hmm. for a while understand that. And so one of the big voids in my life was a father figure. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, we've mentioned before is that we're all wired to move towards wholeness. And so what I unconsciously did was kept searching for a father figure to replace him. And um, so one of them became a drill instructor in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. It's when I went in at 17 years old. And I'll never forget. You had had a vacancy. You had vacancy. I had a vacancy inside me. And Mm -hmm. the one thing that stands out from boot camp, in addition to the ordeal it was and, Mm -hmm. and, and the challenge it was, the kindness that this one drill instructor showed me. Mm. So one of the things that we had to do in order to be pinned with the globe and anchor is you had to pass a pretty rigorous fitness, physical fitness test, right? And a lot of the training that was done on the physical side was to prepare you for this test at the end of boot camp that everybody had to do. There was a certain number of push-ups, pull-ups. You had to climb a hundred, I think it was a hundred feet. Um, rope and mm-hmm. touch the top and get down in a certain amount of time. I mean, there were some challenging things, go over walls. I mean, you know, all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. that in a combat situation, you might be likely to be confronted with and have to deal with. So I was a scrawny little guy when I went in the Marine Corps, <laughs> you know, I was 130 pounds soaking mm-hmm. wet. Mm-hmm. I did not have much muscle on my body at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think when I was in, you know, we were doing overhand pull-ups. I mm. could hardly do one. Mm. <laughs> I mean, and you had to do 12. I mean, wow. <laughs> fitness tests. So I had a long way to go, right? Mm. Well, the other thing you had to do, and it took a lot of upper body strength if you didn't know how to do it, was to climb those ropes. Yeah. And, you know, remember guys in the gym class or something like that, the big guys, the gym guys, they would just pick it up and their legs would be just out on the side and they'd just pull themselves up with their arms. I remember well, it well. Yeah, <laughs> I could pull myself up maybe a foot off the ground and then I fall because I didn't have the arm strength. And I remember this one drill instructor said, you are never going to pass this test unless I teach you how to do this. And what he did mm-hmm. is he came up to me. He says, you're going to have to become an inchworm and I'm going to show mm-hmm. you how to do that. So he says, pull yourself up and take your one leg and wrap the rope around your leg. Now take your foot, pull your leg up and your other foot and now put it on top of that rope. Now you've created a foundation to push yourself up with your legs. And then you just keep repeating that like an inchworm all the way up the rope. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's great. And all of a sudden I find myself at the top of this rope and I'm going, my God. I might actually be able to graduate boot camp. I mean, I thought there's going to be a few obstacles. I wasn't sure I could pull off that. The pull-ups was another mm-hmm. one. Um, but that the guy took me under his wing, like mm-hmm. I would imagine a, my father would, mm-hmm. taught me how to deal with this situation, how to develop a competency, a capacity that I didn't have. And, mm-hmm. and it was amazing. That's the one memory 
of That's kindness. Beautiful. We're filling in developmental deficits. When we talk about child within, it's like, you no, know, it's children within. And, and it's because every place where we, by, by omission or commission, every place where our child self did not get developmental needs met, they set up a camp and just popped a tent and they, and they've been waiting for us ever since. Now we, here's what I believe about this. And I want to say this to everybody. So they get, I I've been working on this a long time as, as you, as you have, Alan, I have no, I have no, no belief that I'll ever come close to, to actually being able to, to reach every one of those campsites with those kids. It's like, that's okay. That's not the, that's not the goal. The goal, the goal is to recognize them when I come across them. And it's like when, and, and, and the cool thing about this, and this is one of the, and, and this is kind of a, maybe a bit of a stretch, but it's not in my head. It's you had, a, that's a piece of experiential therapy you experienced with that drill sergeant. And, and you know, it, it's like you experienced something that was literal, but it was also symbolic. And, and that's what we do with experiential therapy is like, he symbolically gave you this, this parental piece where, you know, it was in, there's so much there. I mean, I, I could go off on that forever. It's like, the idea is like, not only is it, I can teach you how to do this, but by the way, the way you see other people doing it, if that's not the way, if that's not your way, there's another way, you know, let's find, let's find your way. It's, it's like, it's, you know, it's because I have a feeling this guy that was teaching you this could actually do this stuff with his arms and just leave his le legs hanging. <laughs> I bet, I bet he didn't, I bet he wasn't an inchworm. He just knew about inchworming. It's like, but it's like you took, it's, but we know that you took that into your, your, we're so resourceful. Our consciousness is so resourceful because you took that in at that point. You didn't know exactly what, I mean, you didn't have any of this, this kind of thinking at that moment in time, but it's like, it's with you today. Because because it was it fit that need so so perfectly. That's I love that it makes me cry. No, no, it's a very tight. I get mm -hmm. I got goosebumps sharing it with you because it was yeah. it was so touching. And look, and after that, you know, there was other role models that I had in the Marine mm -hmm. Corps. I mean, when I was in Vietnam, the captain of our battery, he he and I became very good friends. Mm -hmm. And that was very unusual for an officer to mm -hmm. become friends with mm -hmm. one of the enlisted. Mm -hmm. But we had a couple of Korean Marines assigned to our unit to teach us Taekwondo because we were going to be going on uh, mm -hmm. a big operation up in near the border of Laos and hand-to-hand -hand combat was, you know, a, a real, real possibility. So mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure that our, you know, our close combat skills were really tweaked. So they assigned two Korean Marines with us. And um, every night we went up to, they built a dojo at the top of the hill. I was on Hill 55. We loaded everybody up in our deuce and a half. So we kept enough guys to protect the wire where we were at on the hill. And we went up and we trained every night. And I would drive the captain up sometimes in his Jeep. Sometimes he would jump in the deuce and a half that I would drive up. Mm -hmm. And then, and, you know, he would pull me into his hooch at night and said, all right, mm -hmm. let's go over this stuff. Let's work on it together and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And so we became quite close, but mm -hmm. it was another one of those examples of here's my father figure, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and that just continued on and on. Like you said, Tom, I mm -hmm. had no idea that this is what mm -hmm. I was doing, that I was trying to fill right trying to complete myself see that's yeah. the way we talk yeah. about it yeah i was moving towards wholeness and trying yes. to to have these experiences that i hope i would have had with my dad you know mm -hmm. had he not passed away and they weren't available so mm -hmm. now i looked in my environment to see what was mm -hmm. 
And you, and yeah. And there's also, the, I love the idea that, that we, because so often, you know, I'm a big believer that our, our, our conscious minds, you know, think too much of themselves. They think they have to be involved right. with everything. They, they really, they, they really are cocky. They think, Oh no, yeah. I've got to figure this out for it to yeah. be okay. And it's like, no, they don't. It's like, it's all, it's almost like sometimes, sometimes I just feel like, like probably the best, the best people, best therapists working with me along the way have probably just been wise enough to give my conscious mind busy work. You know, why, why don't you go work on this project over there in that corner? And, you know, while we're doing, while we're, we're actually healing you. Uh, but it, it's it's like I love the idea that and, and see this goes so much to what you talk about like when you when you're talking about just from the beginning of life it is our this is you know get out of the way it's nate it's natural it's natural it's our nature you know you're you know so the idea is I don't know how exactly how that works but I like the idea that you're that you're drawn to that experience and that another human being is able to identify that experience not necessarily not necessarily at a con you're out of your conscious minds doing that it's like but but there's a deep there's a deeper connection where it where the, you know the, these people that you're that are that are helping you fill these these deficits are showing up for you and yeah. you and, and 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 this is one of the things we have to realize as 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 we're talking to people who are in a process of recovery is like we have to be this is where it takes guts you have to be open to it you have to be available to it you have to be willing to do that it's like you know i mean how example would be how hard is it how hard is it to, to you know when you may need something very much from somebody but you're going to have to do the hard work of trusting Right, yeah, you know? no, an important component of this, I think it's present in a lot of recovery is take what you can use, leave the rest. Mm -hmm. And then, and then a, a parallel to that, it's, um, you know, uh, you need to receive the spirit that's being transmitted. So, yes. Um, yes. yeah. Oh, and, and well, but I like the fact that you brought up, because I'm, because you know, I, I repeat that one more times than probably most is in most of the lines from AA, which is take what's take what's helpful, leave what's not. But I, I, from my own personal history, I can say be careful not to reject what's something is not applicable to you too quickly, because yeah. very often some of the things I've needed the most are the ones that I have I have dug my heels in against the the most. It's almost that's the sign. If I if I if I really feel you know, it's one thing to kind of have a shrug. I don't think. That that's, that really, I don't think that applies to me. Another thing, if I feel my heels digging in, it's like now my recovery, my recovery voice is, is more likely than not to say, okay, we need to stop and consider this because this is probably important. And that's just from history, my that's history. Right. Yeah, that's right. On. I, I think that's right on Tom. The other thing that I was going to say, which really is true for me, is that as in, you mentioned this a minute ago, I no longer needed those role models to be perfect, but earlier yes. on I did. Yeah. See, that's a very interesting thing is that for some reason, and I think there's a lot of good reasons for it. I idealized those people mm -hmm. and I wanted them and, or I thought I needed them to be perfect. Right. And that's the difference between making them a parent mm -hmm. And, and not accepting parenting from them. Yeah. Yes. See, that's yes. different. Yes. And we even have to go through that with our parents at times. I mean, I'm saying that. Oh, we that, do. That, Absolutely. You no, know, there's no question about it, but it was a very interesting 
you know, evolution because, you know, two of the other people that became very important to me was the first one was, um, well, he's still part of my three people, Tom, my sponsor, who you guys mm-hmm. have met, mm-hmm. you know, he became that for me. I mean, big time. He had faith in me and, you know, it, it, it was an amazing thing with him, but that same thing evolved, but with Tom, for some reason, and it was different. What I loved about him the most was how much he embraced not being perfect. Right. Well, that's actually what I was going to say to what you've said before. I'm going like, like this, this guy presents, he presents up front oh, his wow. imperfections. He does. It's like he, 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 he brings them in the room and shows them to you. He it's does. like, <laughs> he does. And look at it. I loved, I mean, there was such a freedom in that, that I saw. And well, that's, see, that's what he's ro- think about that. It just occurs to me. That's what he's role modeling for us. It's there like, it because, because how, how much freedom is there? I mean, we, n- n- neither of us, I know this is true. Neither of us sweat, you know, somebody pointing out something that we might be have just, you know, in our, in our personal you know, communication or whatever f- fucked up. I mean, I, I, I want I don't want that to happen, but if it happens, when, when it happens, it's not if when it, when it happens, that's fine. It's like, I'm happy to learn. It's, it's like, you know, it's uh, now it's easier to do when we're doing it at Patrick, when he says he's had a tough, tough week and we go oh, good for you. You got lots to learn yeah, from, yeah, right, but, yeah. but, but I can also say, I, I believe that we're two people. That, and this is a way that I think basically maybe in a way we, we have in fact earned a place of, of some level of expertise and it is, is being farther, far, farther enough along the path to where I can say that far more times than not, you know, it's not going to take me long to, to go ahead and find that humility and, and realize this is an opportunity for me to learn something. And that's the, and Tom, and Tom, your sponsor, Tom, he just, I mean, he just exudes that. He does, doesn't he? He really, yes. I mean, and he still does today. I mean, I yep. just, I, I just see that in his behavior so much. The, the other two role models for me was Dr. William Rader and, and Dr. Walter Kempler. Mm-hmm. And with both of them, I had to go through that period of time, which I never did with my dad, where I got upset when I saw their flaws. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to, to, yeah, to yeah. describe it is that both of them as a, and, you know, I had a wonderful relationship with both of them. You know, Bill Rader was the person who really saw my potential as a psychotherapist and as a psychologist, and he really, I mean, he supported me like I would have been supported by my father. Mm-hmm. This is what he did to me. When I went my first year at graduate school, you know, I was, I pretty much expired my GI bill getting my undergraduate degree and it was going to be tough. You know, I didn't, I don't come from a, a, a wealthy background. You know, we were at the best kind of low middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't getting any support, you know, from my mom. I couldn't expect it. She was just barely taking care of herself. Right. Mm-hmm. So Bill sent me 500 bucks a month as a stipends while I was going to my first year, my get my PhD. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ask for it. He says, yeah. while you're gone, I know it's going to be a tough year for you. You're not going to be able to work much. And I don't want you to, I want you to focus on studies. I'm going to send you 500 bucks a month. I can do it. I'm doing pretty well in my life. Mm-hmm. He says, all I'd ask you to do is that during the summer, when you're off, if you come down and come to work with me for a few months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, there it is, man. I can cry almost when I say that mm-hmm. now. I mean, my God, what a gift. 
Well, let me, let me ask you this. I mean, you're, you're, you're the, you're the parent of how many adult children do you have? I got two adults and two youngins. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the, so you, you've probably been through that, that with your adult children too, because I mean, that's because, because, you know, one thing I heard Joe Cruz, uh, Sharon Wexeter Cruz's husband who did the onsite stuff with her say years ago was, was, I thought what this really got my attention. And he said, he said, if, if you look, he was talking about families and he says, if you look at the history of your family, it's like, you know, you don't think of it when the kids are little, but he, he says, he says, when you, if you look at the life expectancy being what we hope it will be, and your, your example with your dad is, is obviously an example where it, doesn't, it is not always, but if, if life expectancy as, it, as you hope it will be, the vast majority of the relationship time that you're going to have with your children is when they're adults. It's like, and he said, he said, that's what, that's what you're working toward raising adults. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's like, and, and I've seen so many people, I've been a part of a family in which that transition was never made, whether it was adult relationships with each other, but in order, I mean, and I'm not been in that on the other side, cause I'm not a parent, but I would ask you if, if sort of to, to, to let me know if I'm on the right track is the idea that, that, that has to be a difficult thing for you to do as a parent when when your kids do in fact if they're if they're sticking with you then they're going to get to know you at a different from different angles i don't know if it's is it depth or whatever but different angles and they're gonna they're gonna have to face you know whatever idealized thing they ever did oh yeah has got to you got to come off the pedestal yeah no no i that's happened with both uh yeah because i know you have good relationships with both of your these kids it is or adults they're not kids yeah yeah, no, definitely. I, we did go through that and we're, I think we're closer today and have a more realistic relationship today than because of it. Yeah. And it's yeah. an important thing to go through is when our kids see us now as human, not as perfect. Right. Well, that, and, and to me, now, I mean, well, just... Cece, I'm still perfect though. So, for right, right. I know. Now, I know. I'm yeah. the best dad ever. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, yeah. in case you were wondering, I, I, told me, I, I believe me this that morning, yeah. you are the best dad ever. Okay. All right. Well, all right. All right. Well, I need you to do me a favor. Then I need you to ask her, and I need you to ask. I'm going to have to trust you to ask this fairly, so that not to not to lead the witness. It's like I need you to ask her which one of us is better with the chicken bob. <laughs> I think she's going to definitely say you because uh, I hope so. that chicken box stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, that was chicken box. I've had chicken box every morning now for the last several weeks. <laughs> You're, 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 you're a saner man than I am. I, it's like, I, you know, it's, it's like the, the, the level of, at, that, at that age, I, I mean, I just that small amount of time. I love, I love hang, hanging out with her, but just the idea of the, the, I'd forgotten. I'd been so long since I've been around little kids, the, the, how, how really completely attached they are to repetition there. You cannot do this enough times. You cannot watch this thing enough times. It, it's like, it's, it's like it, it's it's like don't you you know and then I, I realized i was even saying stuff like well aren't you getting kind of tired of this and you know it's like well that's stupid of course she's not getting look at her she's not tired of it that's like, right but but there is it, something about that repetition isn't there that's an important mm -hmm. thing to pay attention to absolutely that's part of our development to our learning man is, mm -hmm. is really trying to mm -hmm. get it understand it experience mm -hmm. it i mean so true you know, even if it's not always clearly articulated in the rooms, one thing I like in the recovery space, as opposed to like what some might call 
outside life or real life is that the idea of perfection is, you know, the, the people in recovery know it to be kind of mystical, unattainable and kind of unreasonable. You know? Well, it's two things. See, you have that camp because we're told clearly, Bill even said it. We strive for spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection, because mm -hmm. he knew we were going to all try to be, per, you know, perfectionist in this program. Unfortunately, people still hold up an ideal about what recovery is supposed to look like. I remember one of the things that struck me, and this was back to the thing about role models. Um, I was in Hawaii. This is during my first year of recovery. And, you know, this was one of the meetings where everybody's talking about you have to go to X number of meetings a week in order to have a good program. And there's a gal that came in that hadn't been going to a lot of meetings. And all of the shares were shaming her because she hadn't been going to four or five meetings a week. Mm -hmm. She had been doing maybe one or two. Mm -hmm. And this one guy that I, I always re respected the kind of recovery that he had, he got up and he said, says, listen, I don't know if you guys hear what's going on in here, but we're setting it up like she's doing something wrong because she's not attending a certain number of meetings. There's no rule about how many meetings we need to attend in AA. There's no ideal. You know, we each do what we think we need and each mm -hmm. of our program is going to be different. And that's the basis of our program is that what keeps me sober may not keep you sober. Right. And, and he says that we have to have enough room to respect all of our differences and not make someone feel bad because they're not living up to some kind of a standard. Yeah. Boy, that impressed me. He oh, says, absolutely. nowhere, nowhere does any bill ever talk about in right. any of the literature how many meetings you're supposed to go to a week. Well, and when we become aware, what I what I try to teach people too is that it is it is quite is I mean it's I was going to say natural, but I mean maybe just impossible to not do this is we are going to you know initially whenever we hear something from somebody else we're going to use ourselves as the standard yeah, of measure. Yep. So so when I say when I when I say you know, uh, wow, that was that much repetition of chicken bop. I couldn't handle it. It's like, you know, and, and, and that's where that's my basis for my admiration for you and your and your your chicken bop stamina uh, is it's like it's like, OK, well, that's one thing. But the truth is, I'm not you. you know, I don't know what that's like for you. I don't know how you do that kind of stuff. It's like but but our nature. You know, but but the thing is, we criticize people with with, uh, you know, when we see I see it this last week in the session where somebody somebody feels has hears from people about she'd been in an abusive relationship well why don't you just get you know what you know why don't you just quit get out of that is the same as saying to you know me or you why don't you just drink less you know it's like well it's, you know there's it we have we have to go past that and the other thing is i love that example you gave from the meeting because not only was that a wonderful a kind and compassionate intervention from that fellow but it also takes us back to the principles before personalities, which yeah. is a share experience, strength, and hope. I can tell you about me. That's, that's what that says. I can only tell you about me. You know, we can, we can share stories of other people that we've known, but it's, it's like that. And that's, a, that's a sharing of ex experience as well, but it's, it's like, uh, yeah, no, but there, I love that. There are no rules that say how many meetings. Yeah. Well, and I get just as a segue to another topic, we got a, a note from someone who says, I love what you guys are doing, but could you mention, and, and they say, we're not, I, I'm not saying you guys aren't doing this, but you're not talking about emotional 
that people don't need AA. They just need mm-hmm. emotional sobriety. And we're not saying that. And I hope nobody interprets anything we're saying as that. Emotional right. sobriety is the result of working the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. It's not independent from that. Yes, there are other dimensions to it. That psychotherapy, that other, you know, uh, you know, powerful personal growth experiences can enhance. But I believe, and I think you do, Tom, that still AA is the gold standard, man. If you well, my, my, well, it gives, this is, this fits perfect. That, that's, a, I appreciate that comment from somebody. It's like, that fits, um, cause it, cause it good conversation, communication, it, you, you want, you keep your defenses down and you get a chance to clarify. It's like, so that, cause that's that, because th- that is, uh, you know, my, when I say I use myself as, if I use myself as a standard of measure, that's, that's been my way through 12 steps is that's where emotion, that's where the emotional sobriety stuff comes from. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I am with religion. I'm not a fundamentalist, anything. So, so including a fundamentalist AA or so I don't, you know, whatever the, whatever emotional sobriety is, or the language that somebody else has it in their own, in their own practice, I don't think that we have a corner on the market of this is the only way you find that you can find your way there. But certainly in response to that comment, it's like, I appreciate the, you know, us, us even having the opportunity to reconnect it and to say that this, this is the way we're, we have discovered it. This is the way we practice it is through yeah. the, the 12 steps. That's right. That's right. And you're right. It's not the only way, but look, it is, it's, it is the program that has helped the most people that have suffered from this. There's been others, but no other program can claim the degree of success that AA and NA have for helping the alcoholic and addict who's still suffering. Well, very interesting conversation today, isn't it? That, yeah, uh, very interesting. We, we covered we covered our personal histories. We covered uh, the the history of our nation. Uh, we <laughs> stand by, man. We may chicken bop. We got chicken bop. Chicken bop. Chicken bop. We've got we've we've got range, man. I, you, I mean, if you've got Alexa at home, just say Alexa, play chicken bop, and you will hear what CC's been listening to recently. That's right. It, it will do it. And to really get in the spirit, you have to do it at least a hundred times. That's exactly. <laughs> All right. Until next time, guys. Okay. Right, guys. Peace out. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me.